So John chapter 5, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water, and when the water is stirred up, and while I am going down, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Well, I think that all of us like to lie. And uh, when I say that, I mean I think all of us like to lie to ourselves. For example, uh, how many of us would say that we're good drivers? Probably most of us would say we're good, safe drivers. Uh, back a couple years ago, 2019, Allstate did a survey, and they asked people to rate uh, how safe of a driver they were on a scale from 1 to 5. And they found that 76% of people rated themselves uh, on a, either 4 or 5. Despite the fact that 90% of those people admitted that they engaged in unsafe driving practices like texting while driving, speeding, uh, fiddling with the radio, or eating while they were driving. And 26% said that they did uh, multiple of those things. We like to deceive ourselves sometimes. Have you ever made a purchase, and maybe it was a big purchase, and you, you kind of know in, the, in, in your heart that you shouldn't be making this purchase, you don't need it, uh, but you buy it anyways? And then after you buy it, you're like, well, you know, it, I sh maybe shouldn't have, but it's a quality product. It's, it's, it's going to last me a long time. And, and you try to convince yourself that it was really a good decision because you don't want to admit that it was a mistake, right? Or sometimes, you know, if you have an addiction that you're dealing with, we want to believe that we're in control. And we think to ourselves, I can stop this at any moment, anytime I want. It's not something that has control over me. I can stop anytime I want. Maybe we get a bad performance review at work or we get fired from our job and rather than admit that we made a mistake or that we're a bad employee, we say, well, my boss was this way or my boss was that way. You know, you rarely hear somebody say, well, I was a bad employee. I showed up late to work every day and that's why I got fired. No, it's like, Oh, my boss, he was intolerant, he, he didn't care about us, uh, he just singled me out, he picked on me, because we want to believe that we're right. And sometimes we deceive ourselves in those things. There's a study that was done uh, several years ago by George Quattrone and Amos Tversky, and in this study they demonstrated this self-deception. Uh, they did what was called a cold presser test, and in this cold presser test they had participants put their hand in a jar of ice-cold water, 
freezing cold, and they told them to keep it in there as long as they could tolerate the pain. But in one group, they told them uh, that this test kind of determined their cardiovascular health. They said if, if the pain is real intolerable, it indicates that you have a cardiovascular issue that could potentially be life-threatening. Another group, they didn't tell that. And what they found was the group that was told that, that they was told that the, the pain could indicate a cardiovascular is, issue, they noted as that they experienced much less pain than the other group. Further, they kept their hand in the water for much longer when they were told that. Apparently, they had tried to convince themselves that they weren't experiencing that pain or that pain wasn't as bad as it actually was because they didn't want to have uh, cardiovascular disease. And the thing about self-deception is that it's weird because in a sense we know what the truth is, but there's a sense in which we don't know, in which it's hidden from us. Like when I was growing up, I played hockey, and my dream was to play in the NHL. And everyone told me, the voice of reason said, well, that's a long shot thing to do. It's like one in a million uh, kids who play hockey get to go to the NHL. And so I was told, you're probably not going to make it there. In the back of my mind, I knew I wasn't going to make it to the NHL. But all the time I was playing hockey, even up through high school, I tried to convince myself, well, maybe, just maybe I have a chance. If I score a lot of goals, and then maybe I can get on this college team, and then they'll maybe notice me there. And this is despite the fact that sometimes I wasn't even the best player on my team, let alone even the league. But I wanted to convince myself that maybe, just maybe, I had a chance. And honestly, it was more fun that way. If I had just believed that, you know, my high school hockey career would be the end of my hockey career, it wouldn't have been as fun. So I convinced myself that maybe, just maybe, I had a chance. Sometimes we enjoy deceiving ourselves. In this passage, I believe that we encounter two, uh, one individual, one set of individuals who deceive themselves. They're self-deceived. The first man is this man who's sitting by a pool when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It says in the text that this man had a severe infirmity. The Greek word asthenia probably means paralyzed, lame, or extremely weak. And this pool was like probably near the sheep gate. And when I've always read this passage or heard this passage preached, and I thought about a pool, I thought about a swimming pool. Uh, and, you know, our swimming pools are nice, blue, clear water, uh, you put chlorine in, you have filtration. That was nothing like this pool. This pool was most likely used to wash the animals that were about to be sacrificed. So they would bring the sheep into this, this pool, and you can only imagine the mud and the grind that were on the sheep and how this pool looked after these animals were washed. It probably was pretty stinky with all these animals around. And not only that, you had the sick and the lame and the broken there. You had lepers. You had all different types of people there who were sick and infirm. And those people who were sick uh, hang, hung around this pool because they believed that when the pool was stirred up, and it was stirred up probably because there were some springs underneath, but they believed that when the water was stirred up, if they were the first ones to get in the water, then they would be healed. Uh, you might notice in your footnotes, if you're reading the ESV, or I think it's in a number of other translations as well, uh, you might see at the bottom it says that they believe that there's an angel that stirred up the water. The angel came down and stirred up the water. And the reason it's in the footnotes, by the way, is just because uh, it doesn't, it's not included in some of the earliest manuscripts. 
And so that's why it's not included in the text, but it's in, it is included in some manuscripts of the Bible. Uh, so they had this belief that the angel would come down, stir up the waters, and then if they were the first ones in, they would be healed. Of course, this was not something that was in the Old Testament or something that was taught by God, but that's what they believed. Another thing interesting we learn about this man is uh, that he's been a paralytic or lame or whatever the infirmity was for 38 years. This is significant because the average lifespan at that, in that time frame was about 40 years. Most people didn't live over 40 years old. So he's been like this most of his life. And this was a place, this pool was a place where the religiously pure would not hang out. Again, it's dirty, it's stinky, and you have all these lame and sick people. And remember in the ancient world, they, they viewed lame and sick people as sinful people. Of course, that's not what God taught in, in the Old Testament. There's a number of people who were sick or had difficulties, and, and it wasn't because of their sin. But in the ancient mind, it was like, if they're sick, they must have done something wrong. And so someone who was religiously pure or holy would not want to hang around this pool. According to scholar Andreas Kosenberger, the upper class and those wishing to be ritually pure, pure would have avoided this area, but not Jesus. So Jesus goes to this pool, to this person who's been lame for a long period of time, 38 years, we don't know what this man's situation was. Perhaps he came, uh, he got somebody to bring him to this pool every day. Or perhaps he just, you know, kind of lived there and, and, and begged from people and people brought him food. We don't know what the situation was, but he had been at this pool for some time or had been re returning to this pool for some time. And Jesus comes up and asks this man a question that on the surface is a little bit bizarre. He asks, asks him, do you want to be healed? I mean, it seems like a kind of a silly question. He's lame. Why wouldn't he want to be healed? Why wouldn't he want to be able to provide for himself? Why wouldn't he want to be integrated into society and not have to sit there at the pool each day? Well, his response is rather interesting. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when this water is stirred up. And while I'm going, going another step down, steps down before me. Uh, this is kind of an interesting response. In this response, he doesn't show any faith in Jesus. He doesn't even show any hope that things could be different. And yet Jesus, in his mercy, decides that he's going to show him grace, that he's going to heal him anyways. And just as an aside, the word Bethesda means house of mercy. So Jesus heals him, and then again, his response is rather strange. We don't see any record, and John doesn't give us any record that he was praising God, that he was going and telling people what had happened to him. We don't have any of those things. We don't have any record of him thanking Jesus. All we see is that he leaves, carries his mat, and then he encounters these Jews who, uh, John, when he talks about the Jews, I think he's often talking about the Jewish religious leaders. These Jews come up to this man and say, it's the Sabbath, and you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Again, this wasn't something that was in the Old Testament, that you couldn't carry a mat on the Sabbath, but the oral tradition of the Jews taught that it was improper to carry one's mat from one location to another on the Sabbath. So he says, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And then this man kind of throws Jesus under the bus. He's like, well, that, this man that healed me, he told me to carry my mat. And so that's why I'm carrying the mat. So then some time goes on, he doesn't even know Jesus' name, and then 
by coincidence, apparently, or, or perhaps Jesus was looking for him. Jesus encounters this man. And Jesus tells him something, again, that was interesting. He says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, why does Jesus say this? Well, again, in the Old Testament, there are several examples of people who were sick or who had difficulties happened to them, and it wasn't because of their sin. But that doesn't mean that there weren't cases or weren't, weren't a lot of cases where people were sick or infirm because of their sin. And I think that's the case in this passage with this man, that his sin caused him to be lame or at least prevented him from being healed. We don't know what this sin was. We have no idea what this sin was. Uh, perhaps, you know, this was something that he had done years ago he had not repented of, or perhaps he just simply lacked faith in God. I mean, think about it. If you're lame and paralytic, uh, think about being thrown into a swimming pool. It'd be a scary thing. So maybe he was just fearful, didn't have faith that God could actually hear him and heal him. So we don't know what his problem was and what his sin was, but it seems that even after Jesus warns him, he's still not changed. Right after this, he goes and tells the Jews who it is who healed him. And then it says in the text, that's why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. So he goes and singles Jesus out. So it seems like he hasn't even repented, hasn't even changed after all of these things. So what is the problem that this man has? I believe the problem is self-deception. Again, let's go back to that first question Jesus asks. Do you want to be healed? And again, he doesn't answer with a yes or no answer. And I think what he does here is he gives a circumstantial answer to a spiritual question. He gives a circumstantial answer to a spiritual question. In this man's situation, again, not in every situation, but in this man's situation, I believe that his infirmity was caused by his sin. And so when Jesus is asking him, do you want to be healed? He is not saying, do you want to be able to walk again? Do you want to have use of your body again? He's saying, do you want to be made whole again? Do you want to be made right again? Do you want to be made clean again? And yet this man has convinced himself that it's not a spiritual problem that he has. It's a circumstantial problem. In his mind, what's the problem? He doesn't have someone to bring him down and put him into the water. If he had a close friend who would bring him down to the water so that he could beat everybody else, then he would be healed. So it's a circumstantial problem in his mind. But Jesus changes his circumstances. He heals him, and yet still, he's the same broken, cynical, bitter man that he was before. So if this man had been honest with himself, and Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? I think he would have probably said, no. I mean, I want my circumstances to be changed. I want to be able to walk again, but do I really want to be healed spiritually at the core of who I am? I don't know that I do. So his circumstances are changed, but his heart is not. See, I believe a change in circumstances is not enough to change one's heart. Of course, God can use circumstances to bring about changes in our hearts, but circumstances alone are not enough. Uh, the same thing is true for the other characters in the story referred to by John as the Jews. They were people who claimed to follow God, and yet their hearts were filled with pride and bitterness. They were so concerned with keeping the law 
doing what they consider to be right. And think about this. The Son of God appears. The kingdom of God is, is breaking into the kingdom of man. And Jesus does this incredible miracle. This man who has been lame for 38 years gets up and walk again, walks again. And they should be praising God and rejoicing and following Jesus. And what do they do? He's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. How can he be carrying his mat on the Sabbath? I mean, think about that. To experience that kind of miracle, those circumstances, and yet their hearts are unchanged. Changing circumstances is not enough to change one's heart. It's like if you say, well, it's a new year and I really want to exercise, but I don't have any exercise equipment and I don't have a gym membership and I don't know if I can afford a gym membership. So a couple weeks pass, and then you get a little postcard in the mail. It says, first month free, $10 a month, no commitment to join the health club. So you decide, well, I can do that. I, I'm going to join the health club. And so you go there a few times, and then you stop going. And you say to yourself, well, it just takes so much time. To, by the time I drive there and get changed and work out and, and then have to take a shower and then go back home, I, I just don't have time to go there every day few months pass, you see this advertisement on television for uh, this workout machine, the Bowflex or whatever it may be. And, and you think, well, I, I can afford that. So you buy it. And then you use it a couple times. And then you think to yourself, well, I just don't have the motivation when there's not other people around to, to encourage me. And I don't really have a lot of time to do this. And so you stop doing it. What does that reveal about you? It reveals you don't really want to exercise. Your circumstances change, but your heart's the same. And I think we can do that spiritually as well. You know, we say, well, I don't have time to spend with God. I don't have time to, to, to regularly carve out time to pray and, and read God's Word. But then God kind of clears our schedule, like maybe He did uh, back with this sh the shutdown and, and everything that's happened. He clears our schedule, and then rather than Filling that up with the things of God, we fill it up with Netflix or uh, various other things. Uh, our circumstances have changed, but our hearts have not. Maybe our hearts are full of bitterness and greed, and we say to ourselves, if only I had just a little bit more. If only I had what he or she had, then I wouldn't need any more. And then we get what we want. But then we want just a little bit more, a little bit more. Because our circumstances have changed, but our hearts have not changed. Maybe we don't trust God with our money. We say, if only I had a little bit more cushion. If only I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck, then I would tithe. Then I would give to those around me. And then maybe God blesses us with something. Blesses us with something that's unexpected. But we're back in the same exact boat. Because our circumstances have changed, but our hearts have not changed. Maybe we're filled with anxiety. We don't have peace in our lives. And we say to ourselves, if only I get over this hurdle, whatever it is that I'm worrying about, if, if only I get over, if this pandemic is over, then I won't be worried anymore. Then I'll have peace. If only my son or daughter is straightened out and I don't have to worry about them, then I'll have peace. If only my job situation is figured out, then I'll have peace. And then God arranges it so that we have peace in those circumstances and yet still we're anxious about something else. 
because our circumstances have changed, but our heart has not changed. Maybe we're in debt and we say to ourselves, I'll, I'll just use the credit card one last time for this last thing that I need. But then something else comes up and something else comes up and we get more and more into debt despite how much comes in. Our circumstances have changed, but our hearts have not. Maybe we have a complaining spirit and the wintertime we complain it's too cold, the summertime we complain it's too hot. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances is, our heart remains the same. I think that's one of the main reasons that our New Year's resolutions often fail. I think oftentimes our attempts at change are attempts to change our circumstances. We want circumstantial changes. And that's our primary focus. We want to lose weight, so we join a gym. We want to spend time with God, so we buy a devotional book. We want to curb our addiction to alcohol or whatever it may be, and so we're saying, I'm not going to have alcohol in my house. Uh, in line with what we talked about last week, I want to limit my social media use. I, I want to limit my time on Facebook to 30 minutes a day. Now, those are all good things. Those are all maybe part of changes that God might bring in our hearts, but they're all circumstantial things. And if those things are not coupled with a change in our heart, as soon as a trial comes, as soon as stress comes in our life, we're just going to run back to the things that we know. We're not going to stick with it because it's a change in circumstances. It's not a change of heart. Uh, Kyle Eidelman in his book, Gods at War, gives a really helpful illustration. Uh, he says, imagine that you go out and are taking a, a hike in the woods and you come upon this stream and the stream is beautiful except for the fact that it's littered with tons of garbage. There's pop cans everywhere. Uh, there's food wrappers, all different sorts of garbage. And you can see this kind of uh, green sludgy film that's across the top of the water because of all this garbage. And upon seeing that, you decide, I, I just, I can't leave this and I, I don't feel right leaving all this garbage here in this beautiful environment. So you decide, I'm going to clean this up. And so you start picking up pop can after pop can after pop can, wrapper after wrapper after wrapper, and you're there for hours and hours cleaning up this garbage. You leave and it looks pretty pristine. The water is starting to get clear again as the water flows down. And then you leave and go home and you decide you're going to kind of go back each day and kind of maintain it. So the other hikers, you know, if they throw things there, uh, you're going to be able to pick that up quickly and, and keep it nice. So you go back the next day and you look at the stream and it's completely covered in garbage. It's got twice as much garbage as before, the day before, when you took hours to clean it up. And so at first you're perplexed by this and you think, how could this happen? Well, did somebody come, come into the woods and throw this, all this garbage? Probably not. And so then you go up and follow the stream and you get to the head of the stream and you find that there's a garbage dump there. And that garbage is leaking into the stream. And it doesn't matter how much you clean up the bottom of the stream, you're just clearing way away for the garbage to come down. And I think the same thing is true with our hearts. If we don't deal with the source, there's always going to be garbage at the bottom. I mean, we can change our circumstance, we can try to modify our behavior, but if our hearts are not changed, then we're not going to be changed. 
I think this year as we enter the new year, I think we need to focus on the source and the uh, source that directs the course of our lives, our hearts. I think we need to examine our hearts as uh, it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I think we all have things in our life that maybe God is calling us to change in this new year. Most of us, maybe we know those things right off the bat. Some of us, maybe we don't know, and maybe we need to just spend some time talking to God and ask him, what, what would you have me change in this new year? But when we look at those things, I think maybe the question that God might ask us is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be changed in those areas? I mean, in the core of who you are, in your heart of hearts, do you really want to be changed? Do you want me to heal you? And if we do want to be changed, then God is the only one who can change our hearts. We can't change ourselves. We need to come to God and ask Him to change us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The truth is, all of us are like that paralytic lying by the pool of water and unable to get up and to get into that water and find healing. But praise the Lord that Jesus carries us to the water. Praise the Lord that Jesus can change our heart. Praise the Lord that Jesus can make beautiful things out of ashes. Praise the Lord that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, that there's nothing in our past that God in His grace can't overcome and has overcome already at the cross. He's the only one who can change our hearts, and by His grace, He will when we come to Him in humble repentance. He can change us from the inside out. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus can change everything. When we are changed from the inside out, when our hearts are changed, our circumstances will align with our hearts. When your heart is changed, your circumstances will align. When your heart is focused on something, there's nothing that can stop you from it. If God changes our hearts and we're like, I want to spend time with God each day, we're going to make it happen. We're going to carve that time out of our schedule. No matter what time we have, if we have to get up earlier, if we have to cut something out of our schedule, we're going to make the time for it because it's something important to us. When God changes our hearts... It also changes our circumstances. Years ago, there was a man named Ole. And uh, I don't know if this is a fictional story or not, but he had quit farming and he moved to a new town. And he was the only Lutheran in this town. All the other people in the town were Catholic. And uh, he got along well with everybody in the town Uh, except for the people in town had one problem with him. Each Friday night, he would go out and he would barbecue. And he would, you know, barbecue steaks and hamburgers, and it just smelled delicious. But the Catholics weren't able to eat the meat on Friday. And so they were tempted each Friday to eat the meat. And so they came to him and they said, you know, you're the only Lutheran in town here. There's no Lutheran church anywhere near here. We think that you should become Catholic. So he thought about it for a minute. He's like, yeah, I guess I'll become Catholic. So they arranged this big ceremony. They got the priest uh, to come together, and people from the town came together, and he stated that he wanted to become a Catholic. 
And the priest had Ol kneel, and he put his hand on Ol's head and said, Ol, you were born a Lutheran, you were raised a Lutheran, and now, he said, as he sprinkled some incense on Ol's head, you're a Catholic. Everybody was happy. The neighbors were happy. Ol was happy. But then the following Friday evening, the townspeople smelled the smell of beef, steak coming from Ol's yard. The neighbors went to talk to Ole about this, and as they were approaching the fence, they heard Ole saying something that sounded strangely familiar. He was saying it to the stake. He said, you were born a beef, you were raised a beef, and now, he said, as he sprinkled salt over the meat, you are a fish. <laughs> a change of circumstances, it's not enough to change one's heart. Change of circumstances, it's not enough change one's heart. But praise the Lord that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to change anyone's heart. He changes the heart of stone and gives us a heart that wants to follow after God. And so as we examine ourselves this new year, let's not be primarily focused on circumstantial changes, superficial changes. But let's come to God with our whole hearts, saying, God, change me. Make me new. Make me into the person that you want to be, me to be. May our hearts and prayer be the same as King David, who after he sinned said this in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you that while we are broken, while we are lame, unable to save ourselves, unable to be healed, you came down to heaven to rescue us, to bring us to the waters of life. Lord, as we enter into 2021, probably all of us have things in our life that maybe are dishonoring to you or things that maybe we need to improve on and grow. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be focused just on changing our circumstances, changing our behaviors or practices, but that you would change our hearts by your grace. I would pray that we would come to you with a heart of repentance. We say, we do you want to be healed? We'd say, yes, Lord, heal us by your grace. Because we know when our hearts are devoted to you and the things that matter, nothing can stop us. And as we enter into this new year, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be focused on you and your glory above all else. In Christ's name I pray, amen.